KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. There's always something else to do. I think that's one of the things I love about coaching is, you know, it's just like 24-7, nonstop. And I think the second you exhale or relax or look back or reminisce or, you know, think that you've accomplished something, that's a good way to stub your toe going forward. You know, I just I just don't let myself engage in that. And our guest this week, Drew Kelly, head men's basketball coach at Harkham College. Uh, just a tremendous program, and Kelly has enjoyed a ton of success. And, Coach, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. So, first, I know you guys are able to play. You've been able to get uh, six or seven games into this point. Uh, what's it been like piecing a schedule and a season together in the midst of a pandemic? Well, I, I mean, it's just been a ton of uncertainty. I, I think that's the best way I could describe it. I don't think I've said the words, I don't know, more in my entire life uh, to kids or kids that I'm coaching. We're really fortunate that we're able to, to get on the court and play games. Uh, in the NJCAA, our, our region, which is New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, uh, Region 19, there's 33 schools, and only four are playing basketball. Uh, we're one of the four, so we're really fortunate uh, that we got a chance to come out and play. How are the, the kids dealing with it? I would imagine just... Getting to uh, game day has got to be an incredible release for them to after all the protocols and everything. Uh, you know, I mean, young, young young people are resilient. You know, I don't know how much it phases them. I, I think it's affected us a lot in terms of, you know, our our routine coaching. I mean, we're certainly not, if you've seen one of our games, we're certainly not in mid-season form, uh, and nor are our opponents. We've had limited practice time. Uh, so it's affected us in those ways. Uh, but as far as affecting the, the players mentally, I, I don't really see much of a change. They just go with the flow. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your journey that brought you to where you are today. Growing up, was hoops your top sport? Or did you play whatever was being played in the neighborhood or whatever was in season? And believe it or not, you know, when I was younger, baseball was my sport. You know, I, I lettered in baseball and basketball in high school. Uh, but my dad actually went to Villanova and played baseball. I was on a baseball scholarship at Villanova. So I really, when I was young, grew up around the game of baseball. When I was 12 years old, uh, my dad got season tickets to Villanova basketball. Uh, and that kind of really uh, triggered my love for the game. Uh, I ended up going to Villanova. I was a manager for the men's basketball team all four years. I was at Villanova uh, from 93 to 97 when Steve Lapis was the coach. So that kind of really, you know, formed the foundation for me. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to coach basketball when I was like tenth grade. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I just knew that was going to be my path. So, you know, I've I've kind of done things to try to make sure that you know I was learning and, and growing and putting myself in a position where I could you know be successful as a coach. How did you know that at such a young age? What did the game just make like? <laughs> logical cerebral sense to you like what what put you on that path you know I, I think one going to all the Villanova games you know when I was young just you know I, I, I think I have a pretty analytical mind and then you know in 10th grade my, my JV basketball coach was probably the biggest influence on me uh Len Sapanik uh and I think once I once I met him saw his passion for the game and I realized that this is something that I could really do I, I think that's what inspired me uh you know I was I was probably an annoying high school player because I was always in my coach's office, like 
analyzing every game, everything that we did, like it was almost like I was part of the coaching staff, you know, looking back on it. I mean, they probably hated that. I was probably some, you know, punk 16 year old, you know, like what, what is he doing in here? Questioning everything that we're doing, but that's just kind of, you know, the way I did things. And, you know, even when I was a senior in high school, I, I coached a youth team in our town rec league and things like that. And I was the head coach, uh, you know, with all the fathers coaching their sons. And then there was me coaching a team. Uh, this was before the days of AAU and those things, you know, that didn't really exist back then. So, you know, it's just something that I've, I've always gravitated to. So when you're at Villanova, you mentioned being a manager. How did that work? Was that just something you showed up? I want to do this. Was there a process? Uh, how'd you get uh, the, that opportunity? You know, I, I think I was really lucky because when I got to Villanova, it was Coach Lapis's second season. Uh, and you know, his first season, I think they were like nine and 17 or something like that. It was probably, you know, one of the down years for going over basketball. So there just wasn't a lot of interest, uh, in the job. I think, you know, nowadays it got, you know, a hundred people that want to do those kind of jobs. I was probably the only one that wanted to do it at, you know, at that time. So, you know, I was kind of fortunate to get my foot in the door there. Uh, that was an amazing experience for me, uh, you know, to be exposed to, you know, high major college basketball, you know, to be around. I mean, we had, we had great, I mean, Coach Lapis is an amazing coach. Uh, we had great players there, Kerry Kittles, Alvin Williams, Jason Lawson. You know, a lot of those guys have been on my staff at Harkham over the years <laughs> as assistant coaches, you know, once they've retired professionally and things like that. We had great assistant coaches, Paul Hewitt, uh, you know, I consider a mentor of mine. He's the, the head coach at Georgia Tech and Sienna and George Mason. Uh, so just, a great experience for me to be exposed to people who, you know, really knew the game. Being a manager, that is not an easy job. That's a, <laughs> a grind. It's a lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff. I, I'm, did, I'm, you got to enjoy kind of the window it provided you, but did you enjoy the job itself? You know, absolutely. Uh, you know, yes, it's a lot of, you know, for lack of a better word, a lot of grunt work. We're doing the things that no one else wants to do. But I think the thing that it taught me was a, a responsibility to de- attention to detail, to get everything done and get everything done the right way. And it also gave me a sense of confidence. I mean, you know, you're asked to do things and you're expected to get them done and get them done in a certain amount of time. And if you don't, you know, it's a problem. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think when you're 19, 20 years old, learning that kind of accountability and responsibility is really important when you're able to to get things done like that, your confidence level and what you can do, you know, rises. I, I think it's an education you don't get in the classroom. You know, it's something that I, I, I think is irreplaceable and really is the foundation for everything that I, you know, that I do as a coach. Are you soaking up X and O stuff? Are you watching film with the coaches and stuff like this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, you know, being in the locker room for pregame, postgame film, uh, in the, in the huddles during timeouts, Obviously, being at every practice, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you're you're like a sponge and you're absorb, absorbing things. Earlier in my career, you know, when I started at Harkham, I ran a lot of the things that we ran at Villanova. Uh, you know, over the years, I've kind of, you know, evolved and gotten away from some of those things as, as the game has changed and things like that. But, you know, I was really successful, uh, you know, running that stuff. And, you know, even today, there's, I mean, it still forms the foundation you know, of what we do offensively and defensively. So you graduate from Villanova, and then you get an assistance job at Haverford, correct? Correct. So How did that uh, come Mike, together? Uh, you know, Mike Nucci, the, the head coach at Haverford at that time, uh, just retired. He was the longtime head coach. You know, he was a Villanova alum, and he was a manager. 
in the 70s from SM, you know, like I was. Uh, and I think I, I just met Coach Mucci after a game. I think I was a senior. He just happened to be at the game. And somehow I connected with him kind of randomly and we started talking. And, you know, one thing led to another and he had a spot open on his staff. And, you know, all of a sudden I ended up down there. I, I mean, I had no idea. I mean, that's funny. I look back. I didn't know anything about Division three basketball or small college basketball. I, I knew nothing what I was getting into. You know, I was, I was entrenched in that Villanova program. But that also was a terrific experience for me because it really, you know, exposed me to the small college level. Uh, and, you know, most of the things are the same. You know, basketball is basketball. But, you know, just the, the, the differing philosophies of a D3 athletic department versus Villanova, you know, where it's more about the student athlete. It's not about, you know, the bottom line financially. <laughs> you know, it's a whole different ballgame. So. How about recruiting? What were you what was your role that in those early days recruiting and how much did it, and I mean, Division three recruiting is a lot different from junior college, junior college, obviously a lot different from Villanova. It's different ponds you're swimming in, but just the concept and, and how to connect with kids and stuff like that. What yeah. did you learn there? Well, I think one of the important things for me when I, when I got to Haverford the first year, I was the only assistant coach. So, you know, at Villanova, you have multiple assistants and support people and strength people and medical people. Uh, and then you got, you know, 15 managers running around. Uh, you know, at Haverford, it was me and Coach Mochi. So you got to kind of be the jack of all trades. And I think, you know, having all of that responsibility, you know, placed on me at 22 years old uh, was a great learning experience for me. Uh, you know, I was able to go out and recruit. You know, Haverford is an elite academic school. Uh, so that certainly, you know, was an eye-opening experience to see, you know, where we, where we could go to find kids that fit the profile uh, you know, who would our admissions office accept? Uh, you know, a lot of times we'd spend a lot of time recruiting a, a, a student athlete and then they would get rejected by the admissions office. Uh, you know, students that had, you know, 4.0 GPAs would get rejected. Uh, so, you know, learning how to, to how to recruit within the culture of your own school was something that, that I learned. That That's important. Uh, and just being on the court and being at practice and having those responsibilities. I mean, at Haverford, I was coaching some kids that were older than I was. <laughs> you know, we had seniors that were 23, 24 years old, and I was 22, and I'm out there coaching them. But, you know, I, I mean, I just try to go out and give my best effort, you know, 100%. And I think the kids, even the older kids, respected that. So, I mean, I didn't have any problems with anyone buying into what I was saying or anything like that. I, I still keep in touch with some of those kids, you know, just 25 years later. That was going to be my next question because I've talked with co a lot of coaches who have jumped right in as soon as, you know, at that age, 22, 23. And I talk about, you know, is it a challenge to deal with kids that are your age or, as you point out, sometimes older? From a social standpoint, was it easy to put the wall up that I'm a coach and, yeah, we might watch the same things and go to the same places, but I'm the coach, you're the player? I mean, I guess everybody's different, but it was it was easy for me. I mean, you know, one, I'm, you know, pretty good with the boundaries. I mean, I wasn't going to the same places as them. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there's age and I guess there's, you know, maturity level. And, you know, I mean, I always, you know, I just saw myself as a coach and I did what needed to be done, uh, you know, and that's the way I look at it. I never even thought for one second about the, the age thing or or anything like that. So after Haverford, you go to the college in New Jersey for a few years. Um, what brought you there? Yeah, after the three years at Haverford, you know, mainly I was looking to, to try to get a graduate degree, uh, you know, to get a master's. Uh, and, 
you know, I was able to go to college in New Jersey, go to grad school for two years, you know, have my grad school paid for, which was great, you know, not have to go into debt. And again, work for a great Division three program. Uh, John Costaldo was the longtime head coach there uh, at TCNJ. Uh, and I was able to spend two years there. Again, just, you know, learning, you know, the New Jersey Athletic Conference is one of the best Division three conferences in the country, uh, Rowan, William Patterson, et cetera. So, you know, I was really able to kind of grow in terms of recruiting um, my responsibilities there. You know, I was able to put together, you know, a really, really good recruiting class there in my first year. Uh, I wasn't there when they were seniors because I had moved on, but, you know, they ended up winning the NJAC championship uh, when they were seniors. Uh, those kids were uh, a really good group of guys um, that I was able to recruit there. When do you start to, I mean, <laughs> Everybody that that travels your road wants to eventually be a head coach, but is there a time when you start to think, you know what, I, I'm ready for a challenge where where I'm I'm the guy? Do you, do you remember a point like that, or does that opportunity of bucks come up and you just kind of jump at it? <laughs> well, well, yeah, we, we, we talk about that. I mean, to me, I mean, I was ready the day I came out at 22. I wanted to be a head coach. Uh, you know, I guess everybody's different. I mean, I mean, I like. I, I certainly enjoyed calling the shots and controlling my own program. Uh, you know, I had trained when I went to TCNJ, I got my master's degree in counseling. You know, I got certified to be a high school guidance counselor. I mean, my plan was really to be a high school coach. You know, that's what that was, I was going to do. I was going to be a guidance counselor and I was going to be a high school basketball coach. You know, at the, once I graduated from TCNJ, I was kind of in no man's land. I was looking for a job. I couldn't really find anything. And I ended up at Bucks County community college, a very, interesting stop in my career for two years uh when i got to bucks i mean basically the program was at in disarray a lot of lack of interest they had only won five games in the previous five years i mean so they already one win a season uh and i got hired for that job right at the end of september so it was late uh, i didn't have a chance to recruit uh school had already started you know so they were already a month in when i had got the job and I was fortunate enough that I had uh, a gentleman named Scott Bradshaw, who uh, is a professor, a physical education professor at the school, to be my assistant coach. I was part-time, right? I made $3,000 to coach the team as head coach. And, you know, we posted up flyers all over the campus. Uh, you know, Bucks County Community College has 10,000 students. It's not it's not small. <laughs> and uh, we posted up flyers all over campus for basketball tryouts, you know, starting in the middle of October. And, I mean, you want to guess how many – People showed up to the tryout. Two, really. Like two kids show up. At two kids show up to the tryout. <laughs> two, and so it was one of those things. Like, what the heck did I get myself into? Like, what did I do? But through through Scott Bradshaw, who's there for time, we knew there were kids there that could play, uh, but no one wanted to play because there was just a general apathy about the program. You know, it just for lack of a better term, just it wasn't considered cool. The program was losing. You know, no one wanted to play. And, you know, one by one, I went around to these kids and I kind of broke them down a little bit, got them to come out for the team. It took me a couple of weeks, uh, but we ended up with a team of about 10 players, most of whom had played high school basketball. I had some kids on my team that didn't even play high school basketball, but I, I had a core group of six or seven uh, that was pretty good. And we went out and we won 15 games the first year. And that was kind of, you know, the moment when I realized, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, you know, uh, that, that group, you know, even today, again, I, I keep in touch with a lot of those kids. Uh, some of them, you know, Mark Tingle's the head coach at Neshaminy High School. 
you know, a lot of those guys have gone into coaching. Reggie Jackson's on the staff at, uh, at Ben Salem high school. Uh, you know, that was a really special group of kids. Uh, you know, we had a special bond and we, we had a great season kind of reviving that Bucks program. So, you know, fast forward to year two, right now we come off this great, great season. And, you know, one of the best seasons they've had in decades at Bucks and I have the tryout the next year. And now I got 80 kids in the gym for the tryout. Now, so we're going from two to 80. What do you do with 80 kids? <laughs> you have a tryout and pick the team. So, you know, basically what I did the first day was we just ran all the time. I put the balls in the cage and I locked them up. And we said, all right, we'll just do a little conditioning on day one. And then you know, the next day, 20 kids came back. <laughs> you know, so you know, that was a good way to kind of weed, weed through the people that weren't really serious about it. So, <clears throat> How much, I mean, just how much fun was that first season to take that to go from that two kids showing up to a tryout to, to 15 wins. I mean, just in a pure, I built this, that that's gotta be incredibly fulfilling and fun. You know, it was, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know if I'd use, obviously in the experience for those kids. Yeah, it, it was terrific. It was, it was incredibly rewarding, but it was also exasperating <laughs> because, you know, I had never coached at that level. And so I, I can remember like in the beginning of the season, you know, and I'm, you know, I, I spent the four years at Villanova. I mean, to me, basketball is my life. You know, we have a Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning practice, you know, in October before the season starts. And I got my 10 kids and three of them show up to practice. And, you know, then I come in on, on Monday and I'm like all pissed off. Like, where is everybody? Oh, they all have jobs. Some of them don't have cars. They can't get to campus. Like, I didn't know all this stuff. You know, and I realized that I, got, I had to realize the type of student athlete I was dealing with. These kids were juggling all, they were paying for school on their own. They were working jobs. They're coming, you know, basketball practice 20, 25 hours a week. It was a lot for them. So I had to adjust the way I coached and adjust my expectations just to make it work. Uh, you know, and I think that's something I've always been, been good at, you know, is, is adjusting and, and making the adjustments that are necessary so that the team can be successful. So, I mean, I learned right there that that was the last Saturday practice we had the whole season, <laughs> you know, because I'm not, you know, why am I going to put myself in a situation where I got to suspend people or people are going to get in trouble when, you know, these guys are out there, you know, they're, they're, they're working hard, make, trying to make ends meet. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I had to, you know, on my way in, I had a full-time job myself. I mean, I wasn't there all day, but, you know, on my way into campus for our four o'clock practice, I'm driving all over Bucks County picking the kids up from their homes and driving them because they don't have cars and there's no transportation to bucks. And, you know, just so they can be there. I, I mean, I was doing that so they could get to class, <laughs> you know, Hey, I, I coach, I got no way to get to class today, you know, and I'm driving around picking these kids up, you know, so they can make it to their classes on time. You know, it was, it was an eye opening experience for me. So then you're there for a couple of years and then you get word about Harcum college and, if I understand correctly, they had just recently gone co-ed and they didn't have basketball at all. How does that conversation start where do you get approached? Is it something you hear is in the works? What's uh, what brings you together? Well, well, I guess, I mean, for starters, I say after my second year at Bucks, uh, you know, I had gotten married and uh, my wife was expecting our first child and um you know, not making the kind of money that I should make. And I can't tell you, I mean, I was literally an inch away from giving up on coaching, you know, because it was time for me to go get a real job and make money. And I mean, that's just where I, what the stage I was at in my life, you know, and, and at the time, I mean, this is crazy. My wife had gotten a job in Wilmington, Delaware uh, at a bank, a good job. And so we moved to Wilmington 
And I was commuting from Wilmington to Bucks, wow. which was like 72 miles each way for a job that paid $3,000. I mean, you know, so you know, that was, that just wasn't going to continue to keep work. So, I mean, I was really close. I mean, I knew I had to do something. I was at a crossroads. So a friend of mine, uh, who I was a manager with at Villanova, uh, Bill Cleary. Bill Cleary's now the head coach, head women's coach at Colgate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bill and I have always been close. He was a year behind me at Villanova. He, Parkham was starting in the athletic department and they had started women's basketball. Uh, and then they were looking to add men's basketball and some other sports. And he knew the women's basketball coach, you know, through his contacts in, in women's basketball. He kept calling me saying, hey, I think you should apply for this job. Uh, you know, they're looking for a men's basketball coach and, you know, I can put in the word for you. And at first I, you know, it's like Parkham, like what, you know, obviously I, I went to Villanova, so I'd driven by it a million times, but. I didn't know anything about it. And so it took some prodding from Bill, but eventually, you know, he got me to go in for an interview. And once I sat down, I was like, okay, like this, this is a much better situation than I'm in at Bucks. It's obviously, you know, I was still living in Delaware at the time, but it was half the distance. <laughs> so even though it was far, I was cutting my commute down by 40 miles. And obviously to make a long story short, you know, they ended up offering me the job. I was able to, they hired me a year ahead of time you know, before they started the program. Uh, so I was able to spend that whole first year just recruiting, uh, which was a big advantage. We were able to put together, you know, I was able to put together a nice team of basically all Philadelphia area kids, uh, a lot of kids out of the public league, you know, a couple kids out of suburban one. Uh, and we were able to come out in year one with all freshmen win 21 games. Uh, and then year two, when that group came back, we went 30 and three, one of the best teams in the country. So we, we were off and rolling, you know, right from the beginning. How much does the experience at Bucks, where maybe you're not starting the program from scratch, but you are whatever the step above scratch is, is probably where you were. How much does that help at Harkham? I mean, like you say, better situation. You've got a year of runway to get ready. I mean, there are a lot of things that are baked in there that make it a better situation. But I would imagine if you haven't gone through something similar, it could be overwhelming to have so many boxes to check to, to, to start a program. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I think when we were at Bucks, we were, you, you said a step above, you know, a, a little above, you know, scratch, but we were actually below, right? Because there was such negativity about the program. You know, at Harkham, there was no negativity. It just didn't exist. So in a way, it was almost easier uh, to start the program at Harkham. I, I think, you know, that first group that came in, you know, what I had to do was, because we didn't have anything, we didn't, you know, if you've ever been to Harkham and seen our facilities, I mean, now we have a better facility than we did when we started. But when we first started, our facilities were limited. Um, you know, our gym was certainly not not great. So I had to sell these guys coming in when I, when I had a recruiting visit on an idea that was in my head. I couldn't show them, hey, this is, you know, we had this many players graduate, move on to four-year schools, and we've won this many games or we've had this many championships. I basically just had to say, this is what I think this could be. You know, this is the idea I have in my head. I had to sell them on that vision. I mean, I can remember, you know, we had we had a kid and his family on campus uh, that first summer, and I gave them a tour of campus, and I never showed them the gym. And that was very much by design because the gym, I bet, you know, the gym we had then, it's in the basement of one of the buildings, the basement. And it was actually built as a fallout shelter for in case there was a nuclear war. It still, it still has the fallout shelter signs up on the wall, right? The little, the little nuclear signs. And I can remember as we're getting into the car, the kids getting into the car to leave the visit, the dad looks at me and says, Coach, you never showed us the gym. 
And I just looked at him and said, you know, if you're picking your college solely based on what the gym looks like, then this isn't the right school for you. And I put him in the car and sent him home. <laughs> so. Another thing that I used to say when I, when I showed the gym was, you know, yes, we don't have the greatest facility in the world, but if there's a nuclear holocaust during the game, we're all going to be safe. So, <laughs> um, Were you, I don't want to say, did the level of success you were able to enjoy right away, did it surprise you a little bit? Because even with the ability to prepare and all that, usually first year you take some lumps and, you know, but your 20 wins right out the bat, the right off the bat. You mentioned 30 that next year. Did it surprise you at all or did it feel like I've worked hard? This is how it's supposed to work. Honestly, I mean, I don't think I ever thought or even still think in those terms at all. I just show up to work every day and do the job. You know, and in terms of, you know, winning or losing or being surprised, I, I mean, uh, it's just not the way my brain functions. I mean, you know, we had a game on Saturday. We had a big game on Saturday. Uh, we played Allegheny. We won by 19 points. You know, we showed up to practice on Sunday. And we get ready for the game on Tuesday. Like, it's just all in kind of in the rearview mirror to me. And we're just you know, getting ready for what comes next all the time. So, you know, I mean, I mean maybe at some point, Later in life, I'll, I'll sit back and maybe reflect back on that stuff and the start we got off to. You know, it just there's always something else to do. I think that's one of the things I love about coaching is, you know, it's just like 24-7 nonstop. And I think the second you exhale or relax or look back or reminisce or, you know, think that you've accomplished something, that's a good way to stub your toe going forward. You know, I just I just don't let myself engage in that. You know, we were that that second year we came out. And, you know, so I mean, year two, nobody even around the country knew who we were. And uh, we were able to go down to a Christmas tournament that year, right before Christmas, down in Maryland, where we got to play the defending national champion, who was Cecil College, uh, on their home court. At the time, they were ranked number one in the country in the poll. And we beat them by 14 points. Uh, I think they had won like 80 home games in a row. That was the game that kind of put us on the map. Uh, and then the next night we had to play uh, Erie Monroe Community College out of Rochester, New York, also uh, you know, a powerhouse program. Uh, and they were ranked number two in the country. And then we beat them 88-71 in the championship game. It was Christmas tournament. So we beat number one and number two in 24 hours. Uh, and we went from unranked to top 10 in the country the next week in the fall. And that was kind of like the, the, the we arrived moment uh, where everybody kind of took notice of you know, oh, who the heck is this Harpoon team? You know, what are they doing? So, you know, you know from that moment, you know, there's really been no looking back. Yeah. Your teams score a ton of points. What is that X and O? Is that type of kid you recruit? Is What is the key to consistently scoring that many points? It's it's the system that we play. You know, I – I haven't used this system my whole career, but it's kind of evolved over the years. Do a lot of full court pressure defense. I mean, I mean the the points result from the fact that our games have a lot of possessions in. You know, I mean, I, I'm I'm looking for a game that's got 90 to 100 possessions in it. You know, a typical you know Division One four year game might have 65 to 75 possessions, and and we're doing that largely through our defense. Uh, you know, through the full court pressure forcing turnovers, forcing teams into quick shots. Uh, I like the style. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different styles that work. And, and the reason why I like this style for our level is 
I feel like it really helps me develop the players. You know, they've got to play fast. They've got to play really fundamental when they play that fast so they don't get out of control. It enables me to get everyone in the game. You know, I've got to go 11 and 12 deep, and that helps me keep my entire team engaged. I don't have people sitting on the end of the bench not playing. And I think that's important, you know, at our level. You know, every everybody gets a chance. You know, if you look at our our stats from this year, we played six games, our minutes played. I don't think we have any players on our team averaging over 24 minutes a game. You know, and really with, with the way that we play, that's like the max you can play. You know, you, I usually try to play them in two or three minute rotations because the way we play defense, you get tired quickly. But I, to me, that's that's the main benefit of the system. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets an opportunity. Uh, and you really get a chance to develop your players. The, the big difference between four-year and the two-year level is our team constantly changes every year. Our roster's changing over year, every year. This year, I have... 11 new players in my program. So by playing this style, you know, I'm able to figure out what I got, you know, uh, you know, we don't have guys, you know, I, I got guys in my program for three years, like a four year school and I know exactly what they're going to do. And, you know, I mean, I got to figure out, you know, who goes where, and that takes trial and error uh, and you need to see it in game action. So this system enables me to do that. And, you know, who doesn't like scoring points? <laughs> I mean, who wants to go watch 55, 53 final, uh, you know, I mean, that's boring for the fans. I mean, players, I mean, players like to score too, you know, you know, right now we have six guys averaging double figures. So, you know, I think that's important for the guys too. They, they want to go out there and put the ball in the basket. Um, you know, to me, when you have, I mean, basketball players are amazing athletes. I think the guys that, I mean, the size that they have six, 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 seven, six, eight, the athleticism that they have is unbelievable. I mean, to me, they're the best athletes in the whole world. Uh, giving the size and strength and athleticism, why would you want to just bang, 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 grind, 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 and win 60-58 when you could open the floor up and play a more wide-open style and really showcase their athletic ability and what they can do? So that's basically my philosophy behind that. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Harkham College men's basketball coach Drew Kelly right after this. And we're back on one-on-one. Our guest this week is Harkham College men's basketball coach Drew Kelly. To your point about the changing <laughs> roster, how do you approach recruiting in that situation? Because I know with a four-year school, you're recruiting is a puzzle. You're projecting, okay, I can see this kid being our starting three in two years, and you know he'll get some minutes early, but he'll be behind player Y and stuff like that. How do you build your roster? Do you just try to get – the kids that fit what you want to do fit the profile and we'll make it work. Or do you project out at all? Are you able to project out at all? I think it's a combination of those things. Believe it or not, we probably have less turnover than most junior college teams. Uh, yeah. You're reloading every year, but I've noticed over the years, I want guys in my system for two years. You know, the best players and the best teams we have are when we're loaded up with second year sophomores that are in year two of the system. You know, last year was a great example of that. We were a top 10 team in the country and I had all five of my starters return from the year before. Um, so and that, that's what led to the, you know, this year with the high turnovers, we had, we were heavy on sophomores last year. So, you know, having experience uh, is super important at the junior college level. Uh, we definitely try to recruit into the system. Uh, you know, there's no question about that. It takes a certain type of player. Uh, we, we like to have, especially for our inside players, they need to be able to run the floor and play the full court defense. And you can't, you know, the one guy that doesn't fit is probably like a bigger or slower, you know, forward or center that can't get up and down the court as much. 
because of the uh, because of the style that we play. We don't we don't have a lot of guys transferring out of our program. Like you know, after one year, I mean, I try to retain these guys because I think that experience factor is important. And I don't take a lot of transfers into my program. You know, we'll t- we'll take you know maybe one a year. But you see, junior college basketball is a lot of transfers. A lot of players transferring down from Division One four year to the two year a four two four transfer. I don't take a lot of those guys anymore because I just learned through trial and error that you really need to be in my system for two years to really get it. I think, you know, that that second year is where you blossom. If you've used a year of eligibility at the four-year level, you only have one year left at JUCO. You know, a lot of times you just don't have enough time, you know, to blossom. So the talent might be there, but, you know, for me, I just found that it doesn't work as well. Uh, The success you've had, the types of kids you're producing, obviously, you're getting a lot of attention from four-year schools that are looking to maybe bring some of your kids into their program once they've graduated from Harcum. How do you handle that? Is that a constant conversation? Is it, hey, just come to the gym, we practice, you know, 2 o'clock every afternoon. If you show up, show up. Do you try to keep, you know, coaches' visits to a certain time? Because I would imagine some years it it can be a lot. I mean, I I always have kind of an open gym policy. Uh, I mean, one for division one schools, there's only certain times of the year they're allowed to go out. So you kind of got to tailor around the division one recruiting schedule, but you know, anyone's welcome in my gym at any time. Uh, and you know, we have schools from all over the country that, that come in. I think that's one of the, uh, the funny things, you know, when now, now obviously with the pandemic, they're not allowed to come out and recruit this year. So we're in a kind of a very strange time, but, it, but in a normal year, you know, if you come to practice and, you know, you have a coach there from, uh, Utah State, you know, in the gym, in the little gym at Harcum in Brenmar, uh, you know, it's like, how, how does that happen? <laughs> you know, um, so that's one of the things I'm probably most proud about what we built is, you know, we have made tiny little Harcum College pretty relevant, you know, on, in the basketball world. That That's a pretty special thing. You know, I, I, I'll give you a funny story. You know, on, we were practicing on Sunday and before practice, I was telling my team about uh, our point guard from our 2014 Final Four team, Ibn Muhammad, who ended up going to Iona. Uh, he was Iona's starting point guard for two years. He actually led Iona to two conference championships, played in two NCAA tournaments. Uh, Ibn averaged five points a game to sophomore for us and signed Division One. And I, my point to the team was about, you know, it's not about scoring. You know, we're talking about leadership and those sort of things. Uh, and when we broke the huddle, my freshman center, comes up to me and says, and he's from down uh, D.C. area, says, Ibn, Ibn works for Team Takeover now. Ibn was my coach. Ibn was my AAU coach on 16 and under. You know, and I didn't know that until he, he just told me. And I think it's funny when you see those connections, uh, you know, how we're out there in the basketball world. So, you know, that night I called Ibn, and you know, I hadn't talked to him in probably a year. And uh, – we started talking. We're talking about how he coached Coach Duro, uh, AAU, and then he tell. Now he trained professional athletes, so he's telling me a couple of weeks ago I went over to Spain with one of my clients, and you know he's playing professionally in Spain. And the first game I'm at on the other team is Ivan Cruz Yuseta, his teammate from Harcum for two years, the starting center, is playing in the game. He's like, we, you know, after the game we go out to our. We're in Madrid. We go out to our restaurant. We're sitting there, you know, outside, you know, having a beer, talking Harcum basketball in Madrid, Spain. Uh, you know, but I just think like, again, like the connections are just unbelievable to me. I, if there's one thing that I'm most proud of, that's what it is that, you know, you can go to a 16 U A team, you know, down in, in Baltimore, DC, and there's even coaching the team. You can go over to Spain 
to a professional league and there's two Harkin guys connecting, you know, an ocean away. It's pretty amazing that this little tiny school with a thousand students that shouldn't even really even have a basketball team, you know, has made that kind of impact on the basketball world. That That's probably what I'm most proud of. Do you ever have situations where <clears throat> what you want to do with a kid and how he might fit in a four-year school when he's done at Harkham, I don't want to say clash, but how he fits into a bigger picture might not be how he's being used in your system. Do you ever come across any of that where you get coaches saying, Hey, do you ever do X, Y, and Z with a kid? Not necessarily. I mean, that, that kind of stuff does happen on a level. Cause you might, you know, when four year coaches come in to recruit, you know, they might say to a kid, Hey, you know, we want you to average 10 points a game or we can't offer you or, or something like that, where they might put, but, to be honest, in my experience, that that doesn't really happen that often. I I think our program, our repu- we have a reputation now, a very positive reputation. So I think it kind of speaks for itself. I think you know, college coaches know what they're going to get, you know, when they get a Harkin player. I mean, we play the right way, we practice the right way, you know. And and to be honest with you, we've had teams like when I've had my best teams last year, we had four guys go Division One. Uh, I had years where we've had six guys in the class go division. So when you think about that, I man, that means we had guys that didn't even start. They came off the bench for us, signed with the division one team. Uh, so like I said, it's not always about stats. I, I think a good, good recruiters know what they're getting and see, you know, what they want and, you know, how our team plays. So I, I usually don't have a big problem with that. I mean, obviously every kid you know, wants to go as high as they can. I mean, that's, you know, and sometimes that's not the best choice, you know. Sometimes I have guys that go, you know, too high, you know, almost, you know, something happens some at a four-year school, something falls through, they don't get the guy they want, somebody transfers, all of a sudden they're scrambling for a player late, and they, you know, I have a guy that's going to a solid mid-major D1, and all of a sudden he ends up in the Big Ten, and then he goes there, and, you know, he's a backup for two years, things like that, because he maybe went to a level that's too high, uh, and it's hard to talk kids out of that. You know, it's hard to say no, you know, it's hard to say no when, you know, Maryland or Yukon come calling, <laughs> you know, how do you say no to that? Uh, that's a really difficult thing. And it's not necessarily the wrong choice either. Uh, you know, it just depends on what that particular kid wants. You know? Are you a goal setter at all? I know you kind of talked earlier about kind of <clears throat> one day at a time at all, but do you in your mind set goals for teams or is it just let's win the day, let's get better today and take a step forward? I mean, of course you set goals, but I'm not setting numeric goals. I mean, I can't say, okay, our goal is to win 22 games this year or our goal is to make it this far. I think, you know, my goals would be more, you know, a team goal would be, you know, this, I want this team to reach its potential, you know, whatever, whatever that potential may be. Uh, and then, you know, individual goals, you know, for, for our kids in terms of where they're going to be at, you know, academically, uh, to, to get themselves recruited. I mean, most people don't realize that. Uh, one of the things I say to myself, I'm, I'm a boring coach, right? And I'm, and I'm boring is because I talk about academics a lot, how important that is when kids come in on recruiting visits, you know, I'll say to them like, you know, in order to go to division one, you've got to graduate from Harkin college. You have to have an associate's degree. That's an NCAA rule, a transfer rule. You have to have a 2.5 grade point average, which is when you come to Harkin and get, C pluses in every class, and then you're ineligible to play D1, right? So a lot of times when I'm, when I'm getting kids that are, what are Division I talents, the reason why they're coming to junior college is because they're not 
eligible out of high school. They don't have core courses or they don't have an SAT score. So, I mean, I'll often tell them on the visit, like the number one thing is academics. Like you're already a division one player. The reason why you're not there is because you got to work on your academics. But you know, who wants to come and talk about academics on a recruiting visit? A lot of people don't want to hear that. They, they just don't. It's not sexy enough. You know? um, so a lot of the goals that I'm setting for the kids are really about their personal growth and personal development. Uh, and they might not even be related to basketball. You know, we do a lot with strength and conditioning you know, in terms of getting stronger. So, you know, that's a big, big factor in their in their growth and development. So so I see goals along those things. I, I can't say uh, you know, if, we, if we don't win 25 games, it's a bad season or we didn't hit our goal. I don't, I don't like putting numbers on on it like that. Uh, it's just a matter of you know getting us to where we need to get to in the long term. Favorite part of what you do? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love every part of it. I think my favorite part and I'm appreciating this now more than ever is I just love the grind of it. Like, like it's just, I don't know if there's any, like a regular job, you know, the whistle blows at five o'clock and you go home and in, with basketball, coaching college basketball, you're always working. I don't think five seconds go by where I'm not thinking about my team, you know, and that could be, you know, Christmas morning, opening presents under the tree, five seconds don't go by without thinking about the team. I mean, it's just, it's just all, consuming job you know mentally and you know i love that part about it I, it's just you know i, I really do i and, and with the pandemic and the season being delayed you know i can see a, you know i really missed that part of it you know last night you know, we, we practice at three o'clock most days in the afternoon and you know we practice till five and then last night i'm in the cafeteria talking to guys about different things not not even about basketball you know i look down at my watch all of a sudden you know it's seven o'clock <laughs> you know and, and i'm still there uh but I, I really enjoy that part. It just keeps me mentally engaged. And, you know, I really enjoy the grind of that. Least favorite part. If there was a part of your job that you could siphon off and hand to somebody else to handle, what would it be? <laughs> My least favorite part. That's a good question. There, there's a couple of things that I don't like about it. I think one of the things that, I, that I, is my least favorite part is dealing with, especially in recruiting, you got a lot of hangers on if you know what I mean, especially when you have a really talented player. Uh, and those people, a lot of times they mean well, but sometimes they're out for themselves, you know, or they're looking for a payday or, you know, they're not, not always giving the best advice to the kid. And, you know, that's a hard thing to deal with. Uh, I had a young man in my program named Valdir Manuel, uh the last two years who now is at the University of New Mexico. Valdir went to the Patrick School in New Jersey, was a high-level recruit, you know, coming out of high school. was originally supposed to go to St. Joe's. But, you know, when we got Valdir, he just had that, you know, his whole approach to everything was very selfish, you know, very egocentric. You know, he basketball always came easy to him. Like, he was just naturally good. He didn't have to work at it at all. And over the two years at Harcum, I think we really transformed him. Uh, and it took time. But, you know, we really transformed him into a guy that really appreciated his teammates, worked a lot harder, you know, understood that, you know, as he moved up to the next level, basketball wasn't going to come as easily as it, as it did to him. But it, I would say it took a year and a half. Like halfway through his sophomore year, when we saw the light go on with Valdir, all of a sudden he's going out and getting 25 points and 16 rebounds and five blocks. He's playing harder. He's running the floor. He's more engaged with his teammates. And – those transformations are, are really important, but I, I think Valdir is a little bit of a victim of the, 
the negative culture that you have sometimes with AAU or the whole recruiting process when you have hilers. And not everybody falls into, into that trap. But, you know, Valdir was a, a foreigner. He's from Africa. He doesn't have parents here. His, you know, his mom's back in Africa. So he's kind of, he was kind of victim of people who were taking advantage of him because, you know, he didn't have, you know, anyone really looking out for him. He didn't have family and people expected that. Uh, and I think it wasn't really until he got here to Harvum where he kind of found a home, found people that he could trust, uh, you know, to give him, you know, the right kind of advice. And, you know, he's, 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 he's doing well now at, at New Mexico. And, you know, I mean, it's really good to see, but it, you know, that was, a, that was a long time, you know, coming. It, it was a project for him to get to where he, he had to go. Uh, and he eventually got there. So anyway, that, I mean, that's probably the one thing I don't like about coaching. It's just, I, I'm not a hype person, <laughs> you know, I'm not, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not on social media hyping up my program. I don't like to really brag about things. Uh, you know, I just kind of believe in hard work and the grind. So if there's one thing I don't like, that's it. It's just all the, you know, that hype, you know, the, the talk that just, it means nothing to me. It just, it has no value. You know, you got to do it. <laughs> if I talk to you about your coaching career at Harkham to this point, and I ask you for one memory, one game that's at the top of the list that, always when you kind of think about your coaching career is there one that is at the top you mentioned that christmas tournament earlier you know what would be at the top of that list when you think about special memories i know the exact uh 2015-16 season uh we played three rivers college uh out of missouri in a tournament right after christmas if you don't know Three Rivers, coached by Gene Bess, who won like he just retired. He coached, he won like twelve hundred games. I think he's the winningest coach in the history of basketball. Uh, so here we are playing against this leg- legendary coach. We're fifteen and one coming into the game. We're ranked like sixteenth, seventeenth country. They're sixteen and one. They're ranked a couple spots ahead of us in the poll. This is a big game. All right, we come out. You know, we're doing our full court press. We come out and they're breaking the press every single time. And I mean, they're dunking on us. They're hitting threes from all over the court. I mean, right from the jump, we get our doors blown off. I mean, we are getting crushed. We couldn't do anything. So we're holding for the last shot of the first half. We're down by 29 points at the end of the first half. We're holding for the last shot. My point guard drives it in a little one. He gets stripped. Their point guard picks the ball up and heaves it 65 feet down the court and banks it in at the buzzer. We go into halftime down 69 to 37. We're down 32 points. And that halftime speech, well, there wasn't much of a halftime speech, to be honest with you. The coaches we met, you know, we always meet before we go in. And, like, we didn't know what to do. Uh, We're just looking at each other like, what do we even say? We're getting destroyed. So I I, I probably didn't even go in the locker room for 10 minutes. Probably five minutes left in halftime. I finally got to go in and say something. I opened the door. And I just said, listen, our, our press rotations are terrible. They're destroying, you know, they're, they're getting layups. They're getting open threes every time. But I'm never going to give up in the game. I will never give up. And when you're down 32 points, there's only one way you can come back, and that's the press. So we can't come out of it. We're going to stay in the press. And if you guys don't want to play hard in it, if you guys don't do the rotations, I'm just going to take a seat. And I'm going to watch you lose by 70 points because we're never coming out of the press. And I turned around and I walked out and they had the ball first. They came out and they scored. We went down 34, 71, 37. And then we came back and won. 
Uh, yeah, I think it's, as I tried to do the research on it, I think we're the only college basketball team at any level ever to be down by 30 plus in the second half and come back and win. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I couldn't find another team that done it. I found some that were down 30 plus in the first half, but they had already cut it down before halftime. Um, so I'm pretty sure that might be the biggest comeback win in the history of college basketball. Uh, we ended up winning by two points in overtime. Uh, it was just a phenomenal comeback. And, you know, when, when the horn rang, they had a chance to, we, we, we won on all basically a last second shot. We were down one. Anthony Wright hit a corner three with like seven seconds to go to put us up two. They raced up the court, took a shot at the buzzer, and it missed. Our guys were running around like we won the national championship, and the three Rivers players just like collapsed on the floor in tears. I mean, it was just one of those games. It was just an incredible, incredible game. I don't think that will ever be topped. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. That is that is really, really – what is it like? Like that moment, not even when you win, but when all of a sudden like you get the lead under t- – like, you know, we got a shot. Like we, we could do this. Like this is not, it's not crazy talk. We could win this game. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, my, my wife and my, my assistant coaches wives are up in the crowd that game. And there was a couple of division one assistant coaches sitting near them, you know, and we all know each other, you know, they they know who we are. And uh, we started to cut the lead down. Now in that game, we were still down with four minutes to go. We were still down 20. Okay. And, but we started to go on a run and, my wife and my assistant coach wives were all cheering, you know, they're getting loud cheering. And the, the D1 assistant coach sitting next to him just kind of turns to him and says, listen, I know you're excited, but it's not like you're going to win. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, that was just a surreal moment. I mean, it, it really was. I, I mean, when that shot went in at the end, I'm like, wow, like we're going to win this game. I mean, it's pre- just pretty unbelievable, you know, that we were able to do that. I think it's, it's a testament to, our style, you know, our culture, our style, our system of play to the kids on that team. That was a, I had a really good team that year. We won a district championship. We ended up making it out to the national tournament in Hutchinson. They were an experienced group that just did not give. I mean, how do you, how do you get your team not to give up and quit in that situation? You know, down 34 points. I mean, the fact that they just kept playing, it's really a testament to them more than anything else. And my final question, and you've kind of alluded to this or touched on it at various times, but do you ever take a step back and just think about what you built that this tiny junior college in Bryn Mawr has Division One coaches coming from all over the country to look at your players, the success that you have had, at least 20 wins every season. I mean, you've really turned yourself into the the you know one of the – real special points in the basketball universe. You ever take a step back and just kind of bask in that for a moment? No, (laughs) no. And I think it goes back to what I said before is you just don't have time. I mean, there's always something to do, you know, and there's always the the next problem that needs to be tackled. uh, The next issue, someone to recruit, uh, you know, someone needs help. Someone needs assistance. There's a workout to go to. There's a practice to go to. Uh, you know, I'm also the athletic director at Harcum. So even when we're not in season, I'm busy, you know, taking care of our soccer teams or our volleyball team or whatever that is. So it is really something that I never really think about. You know, I do think, you know, one thing that I am proud of is, is that I've, we've kind of created something in Harcum that's illogical. <laughs> you know, it, it shouldn't even really exist. Harcum was a, in its history is an all female private junior college that didn't even have an athletic department for most of its existence 
So to think that it has a major Division One junior college basketball team that's doing the things that you said, it, it, it's illogical, right? It, does, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of is that you know, we have been able to create something like that that, you know, really has no reason to even be in existence. I can't tell you how many times, you know, like we're not on ESPN, and, you know, obviously – the, the media world has changed a lot in the last 20 years. There's not really newspapers like there used to be. And so, so in terms of getting the word out for Harkham, you know, a lot of people don't really know what we are. You know, our area's got a lot of division three schools, you know, NCAA division three schools. And I think a lot of people, when they hear small college, that's what they think of. And I hear all the time, people come to our games for the first time. And after the game, I'll hear like, wow, that was not what I was expecting. Like I wasn't expecting to come here and see, you know, two, six, nine high major division one players on the court. You know, they're expecting to see, you know, division three. They're expecting to see Haverford and TCNJ because uh, they just have never seen a junior college league before. Uh, so, you know, we're kind of an anomaly, you know, nobody, e- even after 16 years, a lot of people don't really realize, you know, what we are, you know, just your, your kind of average, you know, lay fan doesn't really realize. I mean, we have a lot of talent uh, in the gym and it's, it's high level basketball that we play, you know, in terms of talent. I don't know about the coaching, but the, the players are high level, high level talent. So, you know, I always enjoy when people come into the into the gym for the first time. They've never seen us and they're just blown away with like what 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 is this? What am I watching? You know. Drew Kelly, thanks so much for taking the time. Really enjoyed this. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Drew Kelly, head men's basketball coach at Harkham College in Bryn Mawr, for being our guest this week. If you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to tune in again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.